The Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, The chief task in life is simply this, to identify and separate matters so that I can say clearly to myself, which are externals not under my control, and which have to do with the choices I actually control. Where then do I look for good and evil? Not to uncontrollable externals, but within myself to the choices that are my own. Seneca said, The whole future lies in uncertainty. Live immediately. The serenity prayer that is said at the close of almost all 12-step meetings says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The self-development world says, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to it. Many of us have seen just how little control we actually possess over our external circumstances. On March 19th, the governor of California ordered us to stay home, restricted gatherings to no more than 10 people, and closed all non-essential businesses. And now we're faced with a challenge. How do we approach this new state of affairs that we cannot control? We cannot control what our biz- when our business will reopen, when we can go back to work. Some are faced with the decision to look for a part-time job and potentially put their families at risk, or do I stay home and try to survive? Others, like healthcare providers, are going to work at ill-equipped hospitals, wondering if they will bring home a virus to their immunocompromised family members. For a lot of us, worldwide, it is abundantly clear that external circumstances are outside of our control. So what do you actually control? What if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were told that you have one to five years to live, that you would slowly decline, lose most of the functioning in your body, and eventually suffocate. There is no cure. All you have is time, and we don't really know how much time you have. So go home and do the best you can. How would you regain control over those circumstances? Today you'll meet a man facing this exact situation and hear how he's taking control over his own life and his own death. Today's show contains detailed descriptions of suicide, so listener discretion is advised. I'm Lucas King, and this is the Curiously Morbid Podcast. love the self-development world. I really, I really do, like for real. Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, Brene Brown, Jess Ekstrom, and Ken Coleman are probably some of my absolute favorites. In fact, the the Daring Greatly by Brene Brown is a book that absolutely changed my life when I was going through my divorce and kind of getting on this track of finding myself, finding who I am. Uh, but I think that, that the self-development world in a lot of while it does a lot of good in a lot of different areas, I think there are two areas that for me, the self-development world has fallen short. Number one is this idea that you need to keep pushing. Now, I am a pusher. I like to keep going. I don't like to let anything get in my way. I don't like to let anything stop me, and you might be able to relate to that. So I could be misinterpreting some of the things that some of these authors say through the lens of my own zeal. And that could definitely be contributing to this idea that I think that it focuses too much on self or on uh, continuing to grind. But in nearly every self-development book I've read, the idea is to just keep going, to keep hustling, to keep pushing, to keep grinding. And, and the more you keep going, the more you keep grinding, the more that you keep pushing and keep pushing, uh, you'll, get your, you'll, break, you're, you'll get your breakthrough right? If you just keep going and don't stop, you will get your breakthrough. That's a very prominent message. And the issue I have with that is that the goalposts are always moving. Let's say that you're a salesperson who sells thingamadoos, and you decide that during the first quarter of the year, you went to sell 200 thingamadoos. And that happens. And so what do you do? Do you celebrate? No. Most likely, especially if you're reading self-help books, you sell 200 thingamadoos. Well, now you need to sell 300 thingamadoos or 400 thingamadoos. And when does it stop? 
when does it become enough? I think a lot of self-development is so focused on avoiding complacency that it forgets to talk about contentment. Now, there are a lot of books out there that talk about contentment, and I don't want to say that there aren't. But I think the, the books that I've read anyway, and the vast majority of authors that I have looked into, don't really talk about contentment very much. Or they talk about contentment as this idea of once you find contentment, then you'll be successful. It's like, have you ever, maybe this wasn't your upbringing and maybe you didn't have experience with this, but have you ever been in a situation or heard someone in a situation where they desperately want to find someone to marry or someone to be their life partner? And so everybody gives them advice. Well, you just have to be content with yourself and then you'll find that person that you love. And I don't know why I did that accent right there. It just seemed very uh, nurturing to add a little draw to it. But there's this idea, so a lot of people don't find contentment in themselves so that they can just be content in themselves. They find that content, they want to find that acceptance of self so that they can go find a marriage or a partner. They don't find that contentment just to find contentment in who they are. And I think that's the way a lot of people approach this idea of contentment and avoiding or or focusing on contentment in order to become self-developed. It is this idea that once I become content, then all of a sudden I will find this breakthrough. Put differently, I think there are very few voices in the self-development and marketing worlds talking about contentment and more importantly, celebration. So let's say that you started selling thingamadoos and you sold 200 thingamadoos and you worked your way up to a goal of selling 1,000 thingamadoos. And what if you just stopped for a day or two or three and you looked back over your accomplishments and actually celebrated, like really celebrated? Because you deserve to celebrate what you've done. And pausing for a week or two or even, what about this? What if you just took a four-month period and you dialed down your sales numbers and you took a moment to just stop? and to look back and celebrate what you've done. Now, this won't work if you're in a situation where you have a boss who will continually force you to continue to increase your numbers. But I'm talking about this because I know a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of self-employed people who have never taken the time to just stop and to look back and to appreciate their progress. The second idea that I am starting to have a problem with more and more is this idea that we control our own destiny. Because I hate to break it to you, we don't. We don't control our own destiny in a lot of ways. We don't control where we were born. We don't control the color of our skin. We don't control how we were raised. And right now, some of us can't control the fact that we can't leave our homes except to go buy gas, buy food, go to the doctor doing those essential things. And this is what I love about reading things from authors like the Dalai Lama and Ryan Holiday and the works of the Stoics. The idea here is that we control the controllables. We can't control getting diagnosed with some illnesses, but there are some illnesses that we have control over through diet and exercise. We can't control how we we can't control the fact that a lot of us are stuck inside but we can control how we deal with it have you ever heard the phrase everywhere you go there you are it's usually used in conjunction with people changing their externals without changing their internal life yes sometimes your boss sucks and they are the problem sometimes your partner sucks and they are the problem sometimes your kids suck and they are the problem but most likely If it's always someone else's fault that your life sucks, if every job you've ever worked at is horrible, if you've been broken up with by every person that you've ever dated, if every person that you have ever dated in your entire life is horrible, the one common denominator in all of those things is you. Now, I'm not saying that you are at fault if you have been abused or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please do not misinterpret that. When I was doing a lot of dating, 
and I was getting broken up with and breaking up with a lot of people, the one common denominator in all my failed relationships, all of them were good. A lot of them were good. Some of them weren't great, but a lot of them were at least good. The one common denominator in all those unfulfilling, ultimate, and ultimately unfulfilling relationships was me. The one common denominator in the fact that I hated almost every single job I worked at that had a boss that wasn't me was me. I was the problem. So I want you to think about the fact that if a lot of the issues that you face in life are someone else's fault, it's possible that the person who could actually do something is the person in the mirror. What are the controllables of my life? What are the controllables of your life? How can you find control in a situation where you basically have none? Our guest today is going to tell you how he has answered those questions. Before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Dave. Dave is a very, very good friend of mine. We've had an opportunity to hang out now, I think, three times in person. Dave is a former Foursquare pastor. He was a Christian for about 37 years, from about age 18 to age 55. Dave served as a pastor at a fairly large Foursquare church and was fired because he was too independent and not submissive enough to his senior pastor, which is a no-no uh, with some, uh, some churches. After Dave was released from ministry, which is church code for fired, uh, his two daughters, who were in their late 20s at the time, uh, were forced to choose between their relationship with God and their relationship with their father. Ultimately, they chose their relationship with the church and God over staying in contact with Dave. After leaving ministry, Dave went to work as an insurance agent, uh, but still believed in God, though his day-to-day -day life and faith looked very differently than it had from when he was a pastor. Dave didn't really receive any help from the denomination or the local pastors at the time, so Dave started down a, an independent inquiry of his faith, questioning everything. Nothing was off limits during this time. Uh, and while Dave was reevaluating his life and his beliefs, his wife was doubling down on hers, finding comfort in prayer groups and in God, which ultimately led, them, uh, led to them going their separate ways. Dave concluded that he could no longer ascribe to the tenets of Christianity that he once believed in. And when he revealed that he was an atheist, his daughters completely... Uh, cut off contact with him. Uh, one daughter is currently in remission uh, from battling cancer, and he has grandchildren that he has never met because of the conclusions that he came to about the divine. After concluding that God, uh, after concluding that the God he once believed in no longer existed, Dave took to the internet to discover others like him. And his search, in his search, he found an organization called the Clergy Project. The Clergy Project is a community is an online community for current or former pastors who no longer believe in anything supernatural. A year ago in February, Dave was diagnosed with ALS, better known to most as Lou Gehrig's disease. For those of you who saw the saw or participated in the Ice Bucket Challenge a few years back, uh, this is the disease that inspired that Ice Bucket Challenge. ALS is a motor neuron disease that attacks your muscles and basically shuts down the entire body. It's 100% fatal. Uh, once Dave was diagnosed, he retired, sold his stuff, and decided to carpe the fucking diem. Uh, one way Dave is seizing the day is his Dying Out Loud tour. Dave tours the world, at least he did before COVID-19 happened, uh, talking to mainly atheist groups about what it's like embracing life while facing death. He's also recently joined the team for an organization called the Final Exit Network, which helps people end their, own, end their life on their own terms uh, while staying within the bounds of state law regarding death with dignity. And he joins us today. Dave, did I miss anything? Well, I, in the fourth grade, I, I had a girlfriend <laughs> named Becky Short. <laughs> I think there's, that's the only thing you missed. <laughs> now, that's the reason... Pretty complete so re summary. So the reason I gave this huge, long summary um, is that Dave has been on a, a multitude of podcasts already. Uh, he's been on a podcast, uh, podcast called Life After God. He's been on a podcast called Fate to Gray, where he talks about his journey through uh, through faith and what it was like uh, being a pastor, how he how he walked through all this. And and many of you listening, if you haven't heard of Dave before, are probably wondering, well, what happened and and how did he lose his faith and how did he come to those conclusions and what were, what was he thinking about and and what was it like? And we're not going to talk about any of that uh, mm -hmm. for the most part. And the reason we're not going to talk about any of it is because. It has been talked about uh, ad nauseum uh, in, in most cases. So if you want to hear those interviews, I'll 
put some links in the show description on uh, interviews personally that I've enjoyed. Um, and the two that I think uh, I would direct most people to are the interview with Ryan Bell from Life After God and the interview with the guys from Fate to Grey. Um, because I, uh, I love the guys from Fade Gray, and they, you did tell a couple of stories there that I haven't heard uh, that often in some mm. of the other interviews. So uh, we're going to talk about some different stuff today. Good. Uh, so, uh, so I guess let's just, uh, we'll dive right into the, the first question I had is, when you were a pastor, did you do or officiate very many funerals? Uh, I... I wasn't like the officiant at any funerals that I can recall. I was, I spoke as a pastor at several memorial services, but I wasn't the funeral guy that, that did it, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. I just, I did a lot of marriages and baptisms and those kind of things. But my thing was let the dead bury the dead. Like Jesus said, so what was your what was your view of how did you think about death in in your pastoral days? Well, I was an evangelical. Uh, by that I mean, you know, that heaven and hell were a part of the equation, and that believers who had uh, gotten that were right with God when they died uh, went to heaven, and so. I viewed death as a as a portal to the afterlife. It wasn't an end. It was just a step into what you're really created for. Was it something to be feared? Was it something? Uh, would you? Is it something to be embraced? Would you have recommended that someone who had cancer go get treatment, or would you recommend that they would just pray and and let God do what God does? I mean, how how is how did you approach things like illness? Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't a radical anti science, anti medicine kind of Christian. I think those are very really fringe groups and very small in number. Most Christians, although we did, we did live in an environment where we prayed for healing and we believed that God could heal. Our our faith was very much trying to mirror biblical Christianity, which basically says anything that happened in the Bible could happen in the current life. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he could raise from the dead, then he could raise from the dead now. And we obviously never saw that happen. And healings were of the nature of my back feels better now. and my Or my knee, headache went away. My headache, my headache went away and my stomach's yeah. not hurt anymore. But we never saw any amputees grow a limb back. and never saw anyone get out of a wheelchair legitimately. Um, those were parlor tricks. And, and, and they didn't have any bearing in, in reality. So although we prayed for those things, we still said, yeah, go to the doctor, get chemotherapy, have that surgery. Um, do those things, and our prayers got reduced to, dear God, help the surgeon have wisdom, help the doctor know, blah, 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 help the medicine work well, and you know, it. God just got weaker and weaker in our prayers. He was, I wrote a thing a, a few years ago called, basically, that he's reduced to a toothless lion in a zoo, and he can't really do anything, but he still looks powerful, you know. Wow, and that's that, a that's a, actually a really good image. A yeah, toothless, a toothless lion in a zoo. Mm -hmm. um, did you did you uh, did anybody close to you die when you were in the church world? Yes, actually, my you... my best friend. He he was a he and I pastored together in Arkansas. He was a senior pastor, and I was his associate. He died in an accident very suddenly after I'd moved to Tennessee, um, and yeah, that was a sudden loss. What was that? How did you cope with that loss? Like, how did you, as you know, did, did you, did, yeah, I, I'll just end the question. Well, how did you cope with that loss? Those kind of things are very, in, in that world, I think you, you end up with a very conflicted mindset in, in regard to life and death. You don't fear death and, and you, you, you know, I think I, that looking back at it now, I've thought about it more now than I ever did when I was in it. You know, you just didn't think about it a whole lot. And though we lost people, we had people in our church die in accidents with cancer, all kinds of things. Um, uh, my brother is a is an evangelical pastor, and he lost his daughter in a car wreck, my niece. Um, those kind of things happened all the time. 
and we grieved the death, although we always spun it to God was taking them to a better place and their eternal destiny, and we'll see them again one day, and there'll be a big party in heaven when we all get there. Oh, no drinking, obviously, but um, we'll have a big party in heaven. So, just grape juice. Just grape yeah, juice. it was just this, I think it was a very confusing message that we sent to believers. You would think that believers would be the most anxious to die, that they would just say, well, let me let me go. Take me home, Jesus. I want to be in That's what I'm all about anyway. That's what I'm that's what I was created for is eternity in heaven with with my God and the angels and all that. And yet we avoided it like everyone else. And many Christians are afraid of it. So it's a very conflicted, confusing message, in my opinion. It, it also oftentimes removes the humanity from from dying. Yeah, because we 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 in the church we we ignored the human element of it. Every time, I mean, to sit to, to just to sit with someone who's crying and grieving, and let them cry and grieve, and let them say things like, "I'll never be okay again. I'll never get over this. Um, I'll never be whole again." I remember sitting with a mom who uh, who um, this is now in my funeral days. I remember sitting with a mother whose who's 18-year-old uh, had just been murdered, and she said, I will never recover from this. Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I remember sitting there thinking, I know in my head she will probably on some level, but it, if in, I no, didn't say that. And she may never. And, and that's the thing. In, the, in, in my, my hardcore pastor days, I was never okay with someone saying, no. I may never recover from this. You couldn't allow that because then no. that's what God... That took God out of the equation. Right. And you, you would then feel compelled to somehow encourage her that God will get you through this. Yeah. And that you and will be he okay. Will, he'll, make, he'll make it better. He'll, and and so, so to now be able to sit with someone and just let them express those things and, 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 and hear them say, I will never recover from this and be able to, to look at her and say, you might not. You're right, and that's like you, and that's okay. And that's okay. And, and what that okay. means that means different things to different people. I mean, what does recover look like? And so, to her, she may be saying, and I would have a hard time disagreeing with her. There will never be a day the rest of her life where she doesn't think and grieve the loss of her son and think about him. Yeah. And you know what? I would never want to take that away from her. Why would no. I? Oh, yeah. I mean, my God. And so, just to sit with someone in that and not have to try to fix it as pastors we had to try to fix it and we had to make sure that we tried to help everyone think the right way about life and death because there was a right way and a wrong way but there's just not and so it's okay to let someone live with that in whatever way they need to live with it and and be okay with just sitting with them in that loss bevan just my girlfriend bevan just two days ago learned that one of her best friends died suddenly and and she just keeps saying over and over i'll never talk to him again i i just can't get over that i'll never i texted him and i never heard back and i'll never get to talk to him again and just that's just a grief that you're not it's it's okay to feel that and it's true and i don't have to go in and say well that's okay you got other people you can talk to right <laughs> right that's not what you say <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, but 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 and so many people do. I mean, that that's the thing. Like, so many people come in, in and even in you know, I do. I've done services for Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, non-religious atheists, and and there is this idea, and it could be a Western idea, I think, of of this when someone says, "I'll never talk to him again." When someone says, "I'll never be the same," people are so uncomfortable with that. Yeah. They're so un they're so uncomfortable with the idea that a death can forever alter the course of your life and can forever alter how you feel. Right. And um yeah, anyway, I'm kind of like ranting now. So, uh <laughs> so uh when you when you left pastoring and you were so you left pastoring, you were an atheist Prior to diagnosis, that mm -hmm. that chunk of time there, um, yeah, a atheist Dave who who has not been diagnosed with ALS. I'm back what? scratching my back. <laughs> I saw you reach over, grab that back scratcher. 
What well, was it? <laughs> you do what you got to do. <laughs> did you did you contemplate death um, in that time period? Was that something that you thought about? No, not specifically. I mean, I was getting up in years. I knew I was in my late fifties when I let go of Christianity, and 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 sixty one when I left the marriage and essentially rebooted my life. And that's late in the game by any stretch of the imagination. So in terms of years of vitality that I had left, I knew that they were running out. And so I was living, and actually my my attitude of carpe the fucking diem started then. That That was when I started saying, you know what? I don't know what time I've got left. I don't know... And this was two or three years before the diagnosis, or two years before it. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to I'm going to live as as well as I can, and do the things I want to do, living um, my own autonomous self, as Marie would love to say, um, free from any restrictions of 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 a deity, uh, living completely single and doing what I want to do and decorate the house the way I want to and go where I want to go and when I want to go. There was that sense of freedom that I had never had because I gave my freedom to Jesus when I was 18 years old. So I didn't get to live a free um, life uh, on my own terms. I was always subject to some other thing. And this was my sense of, wow, I've I finally put my life in the position of of living my best life on my own terms and writing my own story, as I like to put it. So I didn't think of death as something that was hovering over me like it is now, but I did have a sense of this is the one shot we have. This is it. We don't get a do-over. This is not a practice run. This is it. I better fucking make it count. And there was that sense of, of um, adrenaline in me, if you will. There, there was, yeah, there was a uh, life went from I've got time to urgency. There was yeah. a, there was an urgency of I need to do as much as I can. Um, David Kessler likes to say that where there is a connection, there is grief. And even if that connection is bad, even if there, even if, if someone, uh, if someone dies and you did not like that person, yeah, there is still, there's still grief. <clears throat> Did you grieve the loss of a connection to faith, to Jesus, to whatever your connection to that religion was? Was there a grief there um, oh, yeah. in that process? Yeah, my initial reaction to the discovery that I no longer believed, and that's what it was. It was a discovery. It was a conclusion that I came to was incredible sadness because I felt like I'd given... It was sadness mixed with anger, but definitely grieving the loss of uh, what I felt like my identity was and and couple that with a sense of now who am I and now what do I do and how does this look and feeling trapped in a marriage that was disconnected was a part of that as well. <clears throat> so there were several years of really, uh, I would say, semi-depression. I was working, I was functional, and I was making a good living as an insurance broker but I wasn't happy, and I was looking for something to fill the gaps of uh, that God-shaped hole, you know. Um, so I, I was really grasping for something to give my life some vitality, and, and that was a, a grief and a sadness that I couldn't shake for several I think years. It's um, you know, it's interesting. You talked about kind of filling that that God-shaped hole. I think about. Um, I think about like um, actually, interestingly enough, the day today, the day we're talking, um, five years ago, my grandma died today. Um, so this is kind of like her death, her death anniversary. And I remember my grandpa, his his life for ten years had been focused around taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Whenever he went out, whenever he went out to eat, he would say, "What am I going to bring back for Peggy?" Um, whenever you know, he he lived to take care mm-hmm. of her. And yeah. when when she died. Um, aside from losing his, his spouse, he lost, she touched every part of his life. And I think that, um, for a lot of us who have been like super deeply religious, that religion touches every part of our life. And so, and so you, everything that you used to do that religion used to touch now it doesn't. 
And there is this kind of grieving process of almost like I've lost this person that's been next to me for all these years. Uh, now what do I do? Yeah. Well, our faith was the lens through which we viewed the world and, and processed information. As information came in, it had like I had these, these God glasses on and everything was viewed through them. And when you take those off, you're looking at everything like, oh, okay, now how do I process this? Now how do I think about this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a year ago, a little over a year ago, you are diagnosed with ALS. Mm -hmm. and, and that obviously changes everything. Um, and so what, and you decided to do this, this dying out loud tour. So um, what I want to focus a little bit more on uh, recently is you're recently kind of uh, involved in the Final Exit Network. Yeah. Um, and so talk a little bit about what the Final Exit Network is and what they do. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I had a conversation with the president of that group yesterday, and we're we really are forging a, a very official relationship, so to speak. They heard me on a podcast sometime last year. Someone heard me talking about them because I found out about them shortly after my diagnosis. One of my friends said, hey, you may want to look into this, and so I did. Got in contact with one of their agents, and um, and so began to dialogue with them about what that looks like and how I would use their services. And then, like I said, they, they reached out to me last year and said, we'd like for you to work with us as some, some sort of a spokesman. And so anyway, we're going to put links to the website on my website and just a real, a real synchronicity there because I like what they're doing and they like what I'm doing. And so it's a good fit. What they do is they help you, and I'm just going to use blunt terms, they help you kill yourself. They help you end your life on your terms and they give you control back. And that's the key word is control. People in my situation, people with Alzheimer's, dementia, terminal cancer, several issues that come upon us that we, we lose control of, not only lose control of our bodies, uh, sometimes in our minds also with dementia, but we lose control of the ability to dictate how and when our life ends and we're left to suffer oftentimes for years needlessly suffer uh at great expense oftentimes uh, um, putting families through turmoil waiting until god takes us home um and so if that's the case if it's up to god then he's a sadistic motherfucker because he's letting that person lay there another two to three years as a vegetable. And he's waiting until they've suffered enough. And I guess I'll call them home now. That's the mentality that a lot of people in opposition to this kind of thing have. So essentially, Final Exit Network, FEN, F-E-N, is a volunteer nonprofit organization run by volunteers and if if I choose as a client to in, engage their services, they will connect me with an agent uh, that begins to talk me through the process of how to end things and when to end things. They will send a representative to your home to meet with you. It's not regulated by any state licenses. There's there's no the reality is suicide is not illegal. Um, what's illegal is you helping me do it. So. There's no, you can do it anywhere in the country. Uh, you don't have to live in one of the states that have a death with dignity law. It's they help you put the get the uh, equipment together. They help you with your legal issues, your financial issues, all the things that you need to get your house in order, so to speak, um, so that when the time comes and you say, "I'm just not okay with living anymore," they they've got the pieces in place to help you in that. Is it illegal for them to help you procure certain things to help you kill yourself? That's not no. That's not illegal. No. Okay, so no. that's if they they go just can't help you. Uh, they just can't help you pull the trigger, so to speak. Okay, so uh, they can they could get they could buy the gun, load the gun, give you the gun, but can't pull the trigger. Yeah, well, they're technically they would show you where to go get the gun. 
Got it. Okay, so they can't go buy <clears throat> so they can't still, go buy the gun for you. Right. You're still doing all the steps. Okay. I'm just using a gun because it's the best. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of the best metaphor. It's actually a <laughs> the, they're 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 they were talking about a new mechanism, but the thing that they use now is a hood. And oh. you put it around your head. It's got an elastic band here. There's a nitrogen tube that goes up into it. You turn the, the nitrogen tank and it puts nitrogen up in the hood and the oxygen goes out and you go to sleep. Painless. In your head, when you think about that moment mm -hmm. of putting it, what's that like when you think about, I mean, do you, do you really kind of think, have you, have you, have you really like mentally gone to the point of like, what is it going to be like when I put a hood over my head and put an oxygen or put a nitrogen tube in it and, and go to sleep and that's it? No. You haven't, you haven't gone there. It's just so kind of like a, um, like it's, a it's like conceptually. It's, it's a like theory a right now. It's a concept. Yeah. I know what that looks like, but I haven't like imagined the steps. Um, that, that will be pretty heavy, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to act like I'm impervious to to being afraid of of that because I probably will be when it when it actually comes down to it. And I know that this is the last thing I'll do. And when I go to sleep, it's that's it. I mean, that's it. And the the odd thing about that is I won't be aware of of a moment after that. So it's not like I'll wake right. up the next day and go, "Oh my God, I'm dead." You know, that, that's not how this works. <laughs> the only, you know, the only thing I don't like about the hood is, is, I mean, obviously, because this is going to be something you're going to do yourself, this is something that, that, that people will be there for, um, uh, loved ones, you know, people who love you will be there for that. I, I just, I, I hate the idea of a hood being over your head and not being, there's that, 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 that barrier between you and your loved ones that are there. Well, you could... It could be a clear hood. I was going to say, or like a mask or something, at least. I don't know. Yeah. Something that, that... I haven't talked with them about what their new uh, uh, technique is, but I think there's something different is... that's, on the, that's on the horizon. Okay, so is there like a, uh, is this, is this, is this a, um, does the Final Exit Network have one technique specifically that they recommend for everyone, and that's kind of how they, how they help folks do this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's not yeah. like what's it's, available it's, in your state. Let's figure it out. Or here's no, five different they, options. They they'll help you with the equipment that you get, and here's where you go get it, and here's what you, how you hook it up, and they'll come to your home and see that you've got it, and make sure. You know, the idea is you get everything in order, and then when the time comes and you're no longer happy with the quality of your life, they'll actually come back, the representative that you're working with, and be there with your friends and family and make sure that everything's in order. Um, again, the key is I have to be able to pull the lever, turn the switch, turn the dial, whatever it takes. Right. I can't have another person do that for me. Um, this is interesting. We're talking about them. Um, I'm grabbing a couple things. Yeah, yeah. The final, uh, I get there, they have a quarterly. This is a rather, can you read that? It's a bullet to deliverance? Is that, yeah, there was yeah. an elderly couple. Uh, the wife. This was before they they didn't have connections with Finn and they didn't have the knowledge of what to do. So they did actually use a gun. Oh, wow. uh, his wife was. They were married sixty something years. They were in their 80, late eighties or nineties. She was so far gone with dementia, they had no life of any quality, and they decided to go out together. I think I remember. Is it was it in New York? Was that uh huh. Yeah, I remember reading that story. Um, yep, uh, where they he basically I think they did like the in kids the, found him or something. In the New like York that. Times. Well, yeah. they he called nine one one and said you're going to hear two shots. Oh my gosh! Wow. And he, he carefully planned it and went to an area where it wouldn't make a big mess and you know. Um, so there are people who want and and again it's about control. They want to be able to be in control of that situation. Well, we we on a on a on a national scale right now are experiencing a 
are experiencing a loss of control in the sense of we've got governors telling us we can't leave our homes. I don't know yeah. if that's if, I don't know if that's if they're doing that where you're at yet. But over here, um, you know, we can't I mean, we can go to the grocery store and stuff, but everything's closed. Yeah. You know, beach parking lots are closed. Like like we you know, we are experiencing a loss of control at on some level. And it's very unsettling for a lot of people. A lot of people are very angry um, mm -hmm. about the fact that someone is telling them that they can't do something. And you have a an illness that tells you very slowly <clears throat> that you can't do certain things. Yeah, that doesn't sit well with independent Americans um, no. at all. And so, yeah, uh, that's the thing about ALS is you're gradually losing control. You're, you're always losing something is what it says, what it stands for. And um, so this idea that I don't get to decide how and when uh, things are finally too too far gone uh th that idea of me for me to think that i have to waste away till i can't do anything for myself and i can't bathe myself i can't dress myself i'm just being moved around by other people for what purpose why do i need to squeeze another six months or a year out of that kind of life i don't understand that mentality like we get points for the number of days we live that doesn't make any sense to me once the quality is gone and i know that i'm not going to get better that's the key it's not like we just get sick and we get depressed and we say well fuck it i don't like life anyway that's not what this is for this is for situations that demonstrably are not going to get better they're hopeless so why we make people sit around and um suffer that indignity is immoral and unconscionable in my in my view do you have kind of these physical like mental markers of when i can't do x then mm. i'm gonna get the hood well i've I've thought about different things, yeah, because there'll be there'll be losses that'll come in stages for me. My loss of once I can't use my arms, um, then I lose the ability to do a lot of things, and that's what's going to go first for me. Um, then probably will go my loss of of my voice. Um, once I can't do those two things, even if I can walk around, I'm not sure what I'm walking around for. So. I don't know. I don't have that firm line in the sand drawn. I've drawn some thin lines that I may erase and redraw. But uh, I just think I'll know when I get there. I'll know when I get there that, okay, this is just too much. And Bevan will help me with that because I don't want to take away from her what what might still be of benefit to her. You know? Um, so, yeah, this those are... Those are tough, tough choices, but it'll be good to know that I've got choices. I, I, I read an article uh, a while back, I think about a lady in Sweden who she had dates where she would reevaluate. She said, on this date, I'm going to evaluate where I'm at. And then if mm -hmm. I'm if I'm good to go there, I'm going to reevaluate in X amount of months. But I don't think it was ALS. I think it was it was something else that she was um, that she was uh, dealing with. Um Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, dying out loud, and and uh, obviously things are kind of on hold right now yeah. with with yeah. COVID nineteen. So, uh, are you? What are you doing to keep busy and to to stay on this? Um, well, actually, let me, two two things. Number one, I guess before I ask that question, you could have just gotten this diagnosis, sat around, felt sorry for yourself, and just been like, "Fuck it." I'm going to be out of here, you know, I'm just going to waste away and and feel bad about this. But you chose like not to. Mm -hmm. What why? I mean, why why go do all this? Why decide to to go die out loud? Like what what really motivated you to do this? I um I don't know, honestly. I I think I just have a huge ego and I like to talk to people and get attention. So it's I can totally probably, relate to that. It's probably that. You could, <laughs> couldn't you? I know you could. You're so much like me. Um, I I just started um, talking about 
facing death as an atheist and and talking about the whole dying out loud message which in essence is living your best life and making sure you're not missing the moments and and grabbing grabbing life by the horns and not letting life just happen and those kinds of things and as i started talking about it and getting responses from people i realized that there was a need for this kind of a message from someone in my position it's not like it's stuff that hasn't been said before but it was something that i felt i had the ability to say and an audience that was interested in hearing it and to me it was a way better option than sitting around watching tv and just waiting till i wasted away because that would be very depressing to me in fact when i can't get out and do things i get really restless and and uh, uh, depressed if you will that's a I don't use that word. I know there's clinical depression. I mean, I'm just, I get sad, I guess is the better word. So yeah, having COVID-19 shut this all down. I mean, we had trips, you know, we had trips out to California planned and Vancouver and Europe and England and, and uh, Florida and Utah. And I mean, we had the calendar jammed up through July and just, it just all went. And so that was a big blow to me personally in terms of thinking about my future with my future having a very compact calendar in terms of how long will I be able to go out and do this stuff. It's not like, oh, well, I couldn't do it this year. I'll just do it next year. Well, will I be able to? Right. You know, how long do I have? And so that was a really body blow for me to try to have to shut that down mentally. I'm trying to um, do some video meetings we had a video uh chat room uh, a couple nights ago we're going to do another one sunday morning uh just inviting whoever wants to to get on we do a go to meeting or zoom or whatever um trying to do some of that um how did that uh, how did that go the other night the uh the the get together the virtual get it was great we had about 20 people in there or 15 to 20 at a time some came and went and from all around the country and um some people I knew really well and some I had never met before. And so oh, wow. I was, yeah, I, I really love that. So I, we're going to do it every, probably a couple times a week. Just invite people, come on if you want. I think people are needing that connection. Um, you know, it's the best we can do right now. We can't go hang out. So a virtual hangout is about what we have left. And so just, but that's a, Still, it's being able to see each other like we are now and talk, and it's 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 not a bad alternative if, if you think of it. I mean, it's I think it keeps us from going into a hole and getting in a really dark place. A lot of us. So um, that's what I'll keep doing. And and I thought I was just talking to Marie this morning. I thought, my God, maybe we ought to just roll the dice and book some things out in in August and September. Have you checked airline flights? No, I haven't seen anything yet, but I, I imagine it's I, I very got online. reasonable. I, I can fly round trip from Charlotte to San Francisco for 198 bucks. I mean, wow. it's dirt cheap. And so wow. I thought maybe just book those things. Man, you know? risk it. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, what's, been the, what's been the biggest surprise for you in doing this, this dying out loud thing? Uh Honestly, Luke, it's just been the reaction of people and the messages I've gotten have blown me away. I mean, people in really dire situations that have found a source of hope in in my message and have been inspired to reevaluate how they're living their lives and what they're doing with their lives. And I never expected that because what I, I don't consider what I'm saying to be anything... Um, earth-shattering you know it's just a very simple message and i'm not i i don't feel like i've i've come out with this revelation of some kind but it's just somehow resonating with people and i've i i've been so surprised by that and literally all over the world i get messages from people all over the world and and it just never ceases to amaze me how one of us just one person, me or you or anyone, who just steps up and says, I'm here, I have some things to say, I want to connect with you in a very 
real and human way, it amazes me how much power and influence any one of us can have. Because I never expected to see this toward the end of my life. So I want to play a little game with you. Uh, it's, it's a new game. It's not really a game. But it's called, uh, it's called When I Die, Dave. And uh, it's some questions about, uh, you know, obviously you've thought about some of these, I'm sure, um, because it, it's more, it's a little more imminent for you, whereas for a lot of folks, kind of, they just, it, death is somewhere off in the distance. Yeah. Um, so when I die, I want to be cremated or put in a casket. Cremated, for sure. If those are the only two options, I would never use a casket. When I die... I want my loved ones to do blank with my ashes. Smoke them. <laughs> Roll them in a cigar and smoke them. <laughs> when I die, I want to be remembered as... Kind. A kind person. Say more than that. I want to be remembered <laughs> as a person who's kind and, and never quit learning... Never quit being willing to change. Never quit being able to adjust to a new reality and live the best life forward. I The quote, the Maya Angelou quote I use a lot now is, do the best you can do until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And I want to live that way until the last day I breathe. When I die, I want people to say blank about me at my funeral. The truth. Just tell the truth. Some of them may get up and say, oh my God, he was an asshole. So hard to live with, but I loved him because he was whatever. I just want people to share their, their, their truth of their memories of me and, and how, uh, how I affected their lives. Because we all have an effect on the people that we're doing life with and some people I've hurt in my life I've made bad choices and hurt them and other people I've been able to um, bring life to and bring a benefit to by by having me in their life and so that's you know just everyone can speak their truth about what it was like to have Dave in their life well so far my favorite memory that I will god there's so many but the favorite memory I have so far is the ALS poker tournament. That that when we when we were sitting there, <laughs> we got that on video. We have to save that. We where where we laughed until our sides hurt. Oh so I I had an opportunity to spend uh, a, a several days with Dave in Florida uh, in February of this year, and we were all playing poker. And Dave. Dave has got a, uh, we all get a pretty, I mean, some of us have a morbid sense of humor anyway. Um, but when we get around Dave, it's hard not to have a morbid sense of humor. Um, uh, and, uh, and so we were playing poker and Dave said, uh, ALS poker tournament, first annual. Then there was a long pause. And then he said, last annual. And, and I, <laughs> I didn't hear him say first annual. I just heard him say last annual. And so all I heard him say, all I heard him say was ALS poker tournament, long pause, last annual. And then when we watched the video back, I heard you say first annual. But it took all of us a second for that to just land. And when yeah, it did, it kinda oh went, my God. It kind of came down like this. And then as it hit, everybody just <laughs> fell out of their chairs. And we laughed literally for oh. two minutes and we couldn't stop laughing. Oh, that was great. And then, and then it just kind of resurged. Um, when I die, I hope no one tells this story at my funeral. Oh God! Oh my God! I I'm trying to think of what that would be. This story. Uh, it'd be like my most embarrassing moment, right? Something like that, yeah. I'll have to think about that one. That caught me off guard. I um, I'm not typically embarrassed by much of anything. I mean, I'm, I've done some shitty things, and and, uh, you know what? I think. The, this story would be the, yeah, let's just go with the interview we did on your podcast where I fucking put both feet in my mouth and chewed on them for a while. 
But that so, probably will get told by you at yeah, my funeral. Yeah, so I was, I, I hosted a, uh, for those, so for some of you don't know what Dave's talking about. I hosted a, a different show before this one, and uh, and Dave and I were talking uh, about, we talked a lot about his transition, we talked a lot about his diagnosis, and and he, he said, uh, Dave talked about a girl that he had been dating, and uh, turns out she didn't know that they had been dating, she thought that they were currently dating. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she Oops. found out she found out that they they had been dating um uh by listening to that and then i believe uh someone else also uh, uh heard about uh, he also had mentioned that he was going to go meet a couple of different women after our interview and one of those women who he was going to meet found out that he was going to go meet other women uh on his little <laughs> journey and that <laughs> Put a damper on a few things. Oh my God! I can't believe I said all that in one interview. Wow! But you're still mm. with Bevan and very happy to be with her. It situation. all turned out well. Uh, and then I ask people when I'm sitting with a family because a lot of these questions I'm asking you are questions that I ask family members when I'm talking to them about their loved one. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I always say, I, I, my, my last question with most family members is, what would your loved one say to everyone that's in attendance? And so I ask you, David Warnick, what would you say to everyone who is in attendance that is there celebrating who you are and the impact that you've made on the world? What would I say to the people there? Yep. Well, you do know that we're probably going to have a living memorial that we're going to do this before I die. I've heard. We've talked, we've talked about that. So I'm probably going to get to say the things I would say. And then I'll, maybe I'll just do the mask right there with everyone there. We, <laughs> I just, um, I would say that I would say to them in attendance, the same thing I'm saying over and over and over again with dying out loud, you know, uh, and, and one way I put it recently is, if you're not happy with the life you're living, if you're not happy that, because we all get to write our own story. That's one of the things we learn as we escape from Christianity is that God's not writing the story. We took the pen back from God or spiritual leaders and we are writing the story. So if you're not happy with the way the story is going, then whose fault is that and who's going to change that? So that's what I'd say. Write your story and be be happy with the story that you're writing and if you're not happy with it at any point at any level then fucking change it because you have the power to do that yes amen pastor preach it you're <laughs> preaching now well dave thank you so much uh for taking the time to be here and to come on the show i always have fun with you the, the best uh i'll tell you that i i told kaylee this when we left florida I, I love that I've had a chance to meet you as many times as I have, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm bummed I'm not going to see you in April because that would have been yeah. that would have been time number four. I was really looking forward to that. Um, I, I I'm so you know whenever we hang out, I'm like oh my god like I finally found like like after after all I've found a friend like a friend that I really like I <laughs> I feel like I I connect with you like like even though we've only you know, we've spoken you know a handful of times and we've met a handful of times uh i feel like uh i feel like there is at least on my side there is this connection that is that it's this great friendship connection even though there's a few decades in between our ages um and the and and i i told kaylee when we left florida i was like the thing that the thing that breaks oh shit i don't want to cry but i might um the thing that breaks my heart is that it's like this is so great but so short Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, uh, that's a lesson that you can carry to other relationships too, is, is, you know, the only difference with you is that we, we, we know, but mm -hmm. it can, but it can be so great and so short with any, any other relationship. You just don't know when that's going to, when that's going to come to an end. Yeah. And, and one of the things that came up in our group meeting the other night that we, I, I posed the question to the group. What, what do you think might be a good thing that'll come out of this coronavirus uh, 
thing that we're dealing with now and 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 I was leading toward this answer and it came up is that I think that we're going to come out of this with a, a heightened sense of the value of our relationships and our connections and not take them for granted because now they've been taken away from us like we don't get to hang out in April like we were going to and we can assume and most likely we will reschedule that and get it done but what happens if we don't and what happens if that Florida time was the last time we were together? You know, are yeah. we gonna are we gonna learn how to how to really value those moments and not let them slip by unnoticed and not not get and learn how to give them the weight that they're due? And so what what you said is really true. And you know, it's what's fascinating to me is that we could assume certain relationships will click and others won't you and i like you said years apart in age and bevan and i and but the click the connection is clearly there and we we so enjoy our times together and then kaylee and bevan were there with us and that was a whole nother level and we left there and we said the same thing we said when you guys talked about meeting up with us in northern california and bevan and i are going that's amazing, but why would they want to hang out with a couple of old dudes? I mean, I, that, we, we couldn't get over it. And we thought, wow, this is awesome. These young people <laughs> want to spend time with us. And, and so, but we were so looking forward to it for the same reasons. Because it's just, uh, you know, when the connections are there, you just, you just love it. And you don't, you don't have to figure out how or why. It just is. And uh, Kayla, I posted, she posted a picture of an empty beach and I told her, <laughs> I said, you've learned how to move the people off your beach. Good girl. <laughs> that's going to be another, that's going to be another story that we'll tell at your living memorials. When you go, you went and kicked those people off the beach. <laughs> a little mom and her baby, get off my beach. And they were like two feet over the oh. line. <laughs> oh, and she played along so well when she I left. I can't believe, oh. though, that no one got that on video. I can't. I know. I give you people these moments, and you don't video it. What the hell? Because we were, we were living in the moment, Dave. We were living <laughs> that's it. That's, what... that's true. No, that's, that's a good point. That's a good lesson, too. Because sometimes we get so caught up in capturing the moment, we forget to live it. That's an you know, And I think. You know, it's interesting too that you talked about uh, kind of the the fact that that the COVID thing is going to help us really uh, appreciate the relationships we have. I think part of that is, and this is something I've been thinking about. I want to travel all over. I want to see the sights. I want to do all those things. Mm -hmm. um, but I've recently been thinking, like over the last couple of days, I'm like, man, flights are cheap. I would love to go see my parents, but I can't. You know, yeah. it, it it really like. Um, I, I want to go experience as much as I can experience, but I also, you know, and today being, you know, the five years ago that my grandma died, grandpa's death anniversary, his one year is coming up in April. Like, of course I want to go see and experience as much as I can experience. But when all of a sudden you realize I can't go see my parents, I can't go do these things. It really helps. And I hope this stays. I hope that, yeah, you know, that's what the, I'm hoping the, the, too. the big, the, the big issue, a lot of these yeah. things, we oftentimes forget once things go back to normal, we, we forget what it was like. And I just well, hope that, that this, that I hope this hurts enough to stay with some people. I that's guess. what someone said. I, I just want things to go back to normal. And I said, I don't, are you, do you really though? Because maybe the normal needed to change. Maybe the normal wasn't what it should be. And let's don't go back to normal. Let's find a new normal and a new way of doing life. And maybe this will cause us to, to force us to look at things in a different way. I hope so. Yeah. Cause I think we do, I think by and large, and I think that's one reason that my message has resonated with so many people. I think by and large, we can get caught in the trap of letting life happen to us rather than being intentional about what I'm doing with the life that I have. Well, and this is a this 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 is a great opportunity for people to practice that because you yeah. you only have a you have a limited amount of of options right now in terms of not being able you know some of us can't leave our house some of us can only go to the grocery store some of us can't go to beaches do stuff we usually we used to do so this is a great opportunity to stop and say okay 
I can only do certain things right now. How can I still make the best of this situation? And that's exactly what you're doing with dying out loud is there are certain things I'm not going to be able to do, but how do I go out and make the best of the situation, which has Mm -hmm. been an inspiration for many. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. All right, Dave. Well, I'm going to let you get back to whatever else you're going to do today. And all right, uh, man. Thanks for talking to you as always. And we will definitely reconnect in California when, when the veil is lifted. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Dave. For more information on what Dave is doing, you can go to DaveOutloud.com. You can get, you can find him on Facebook. If you go to your Facebook page and type in Dave Warnock Dying Out Loud, you'll find that group. If you want to learn more about the Final Exit Network, you can go to FinalExit.org. All of these links will be in the description box just below the show don't forget to start a sentence this week with when i die and see where that takes you you could really get crazy and start a sentence with when you die and see how that goes also if you like the show tell someone else about it rate or review it if you feel so inclined if you have a loved one and you want the lessons of their life if you have lost a loved one and you want the lessons of their life to live on, email me a picture and tell me how they've inspired your life, and I'll put them up on my Luke the Celebrant Instagram page. Also, if you want to be a guest on the show, email me, and we can talk about how you're living a more fulfilling life after facing death. Remember, every story is worth telling. That means yours is too. And if you don't like how the story is going, you still have time to write more chapters. Thanks for listening.